this week on Hope for the Broken. Sometimes we feel like we're in a desolate place and we're in a desert and the Lord has forgotten about us. Sometimes we're there because of our own decisions and we're suffering the consequences of what we've chosen to do. But did you know that even in our consequences, the Lord can work for your future? And not just your future, but the future of your children and your children's children. Why? Because that's the God that we serve. That's how good He is. Church, you need to remember that even in discomfort, the Lord is providing for your future. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our guest speaker, Aaron Blankenship, with part 21, titled... Trusting the Lord's timing and preparing for your discomfort. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to start off in chapter 26 this morning. Uh, the title that I've put with this morning, we've been going through uh, 1 Samuel looking at life lessons. The title that we have this morning, you're going to love it, is Trusting the Lord's Timing and Preparation for Yours and My Discomfort. I told you you're going to love it. That's good stuff. Trusting in the Lord's timing and preparation for your discomfort. If you've been following us, uh, you were here last week, then you know last week we looked at David having a a slight run-in with a very wealthy man. Um, His name was Nabal. Side note, now that we've mentioned names, we're going to cover several names this morning. I'm going to butcher most of them. So you just hang with me, follow along. It's going to be wonderful. The Lord has great stuff, and we're going to, we're going to knock this out. Well, last week we saw that David had a slight run-in with a wealthy man named Nabal. When David sent his men to greet him, uh, things didn't exactly go the way that he hoped. He was expecting to be greeted with gratitude. He was expecting to be uh, greeted with welcome arms because of the things that David had done for him, and he actually found quite the opposite. And uh, the servants came back to David and reported what had happened, and uh, David did not take it very well. If you remember, he doesn't just send someone back to see them. He says, nope, every man, pick up your sword. Every man strap on your sword. We're going to go and see what happened here. We're going to go and confront this man. Can you imagine having David, whom they said had his killings of 10,000, telling 600 men to strap on your sword and come with me. We're going to go confront this guy. That's a pretty intimidating moment. But in the true fashion of the grace of our father, keeping his servants uh, clean on his way, David was intercepted by Nabal's wife, and an offering was made in apology to David and his men. And then it goes on, and the chapter ends with Nabal dying quite literally of shock. It looks like he either had a stroke or a heart attack or something like that, but when his wife confessed to him of what she had done in giving this offering to David and his men, he froze. Scripture tells us that he was frozen, and then 10 days later, he died. It goes on, and we see that then David 
comes in and he takes Nabal's widowed wife, Abigail, for his own wife. Now you're all caught up. Are you ready to jump in? Wow, y'all need some coffee this morning. (laughs) The early service was more awake than you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm super glad you're here. This is going to be good. Here we go. Let's jump in. Chapter 26, verse 1. It says, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? I told you, lots of names in this one. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 choice men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, side note here, you can notice that Saul has pretty much had uh, his fill of David fleeing from him. Saul doesn't just come after him with a small party or uh, pack up a posse and send them out after him. No, it says that he took 3,000 choice men. That's a lot, right? Hang with me there. Man, y'all are quiet this morning. This can be good. Verse 3, And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road east of Jeshem. But David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul, when he saw that Saul had came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David arose and came to the place where Saul was encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was laying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So just so you have the right picture of what's going on here, David comes in, he sees these 3,000 men, and he's thinking, okay, yeah, there's 3,000 of them. Where's Saul? He is dead center right in the middle of them. Why would the leader want to be so isolated from all of the outside stuff? Because do you remember the last time Saul went after David and they had a little close encounter? Saul goes into a cave to have some alone time, and the next thing he knows, here's David standing with the tail end of his robe. That that was pretty scary for him. So this time, Saul comes out, and he says, nah, it's not going to happen again. I'm going to protect myself. I'm taking 3,000 choice men with me, and I'm going to be right in the middle of them. No one's getting in. No one's getting out. This is all going to be fine. I'm going to be safe. We'll see what happens. Look at verse 6. Then David said to Achimelech the Hittite uh, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck to the ground uh, at his head and Abner and the army laying around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did anyone awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. 
There's a lot in there to unpack. But we're just going to look at a few key things here. So we see that David had the opportunity to take matters into his own hands and just take Saul out completely and eliminate him. This is going to bring us to our first life lesson this morning. We're going to have three life lessons by the end of this morning, but our first one, ready, here we go, wait for the Lord's timing. It seems simple. It seems like a basic surface level lesson in life. Yeah, just wait on the Lord. What's the big deal? Well, you see here, uh, David's not just waiting on the Lord. He could have became the new king. He could have ended this entire thing of running from Saul, running for his life. The 600 men that are with him could have lived in comfort and in confidence. But instead, David chooses to wait on the Lord's timing. He chooses to be patient. In our own lives, we have this internal daily battle of choosing to lay our burdens and temptations at the feet of Jesus and trusting him to work for his glory and our good. I'll be the first one to admit to you that it is hard and it's a daily battle for us to come and lay our burdens at the feet of Christ and be patient and wait on his timing. But you know, even here we see that it's not just uh, David who is under the control of the Lord, but uh, Saul is subject to the Lord as well and he's not being patient. So we have the perfect example on both sides of the spectrum here. We have David who uh, could take everything into his own hands. He could not even get his own hands dirty. He could have allowed his servant who was with him to take out Saul for him. And he honestly could have said, I didn't kill the king. My hands are clean. I've done nothing wrong. How often in our own lives do we try to put the stuff off, off on someone else's hands and say, their hands are dirty, not mine. I didn't do anything wrong. But David was patient waiting on the Lord's timing. He knew that his day would come to be king, and he's patient. But yet on the other side of the coin, you have Saul. Saul was the appointed one of the Lord. He was put into his uh, throne, into his reign as king by God himself. But yet he wasn't patient. He knew that David was the next king. He knew that David had been appointed by the Lord, and uh, Saul was terrified that he was going to lose his position. But rather than being patient and trusting in God's timing and allowing things to play out the way that the Lord had it, he said, no, nope, I'm going to take things into my own hands and I'm going to pursue David and I'm going to chase after David and I'm going to take 3,000 of my best men with me to ensure that I don't have to wait on God to do what I think he should do now. Am I the only one that lives in that world too? That's me on a daily uh, instant. The Lord has given me blessing after blessing after blessing, and yet still it's so hard for me to just trust him. Honestly, it's hard for me to trust him and say, God, you are Lord, I am not. You are holy, I am not. That leads me to a question that I want you to go home and think about this week. Here's your homework this week. There's a lot to unpack in chapter 26 and 27, so you need to read these yourself, find the time to read through them, and then ponder this question. In my own life, the decisions that are taking up the majority of my thoughts, the majority of my time, the majority of my effort, my energy, are they decisions that have eternal impacts or are these right now problems? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Right now, problems are important. Sometimes it comes down to, are we going to go eat at McDonald's or are we going to go eat at Burger King? That's a right now problem, okay? And if you're not laughing, then you must not be married because you leave church on Sunday morning and it's an all-out war of where are we going to eat. It happens. But that's a right now problem. But like my family, I'm sure in your family, sometimes those right now problems consume our every thought. Because we can't decide on McDonald's or Burger King, we're Sour Patch Kids in our house for the rest of the Sunday because somebody chose the wrong one that I didn't want to go to. And we get so wrapped up in the right now problems that we completely miss everything else that the Lord had for us. That's what's happening to Saul. He's so wrapped up in this right now problem of David's been appointed king. Yes, he has, but not for this moment that he completely misses everything he could be doing while he's reigning as king. So on one end of the spectrum, you can be patient. You can wait on the Lord. You can trust in his timing. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. David's been running for his life. He's got 600 men who are running with him for their lives. Just because you're being patient, you're saying, God, I'm being a good believer. I'm trusting in you. I'm being patient. I'm waiting on your plan. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But let me tell you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it. After this, I'm going to skip a part here. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you just for the sake of time. But David goes in, uh, him and his uh, fellow um, helper, he goes in and he takes the spear and he takes the water jug. And then we're told that he leaves the encampment. He goes to a hill that is far off and he just yells at him. And he starts poking the bear and making fun of Abner. He says, hey, are, are you a man? Are you this captain of the army? You're the one who's supposed to be protecting your Lord. And yet, where is his spear? Where's the water jug that was at his head? This is twice now that I have come in and no one has known it. He's kind of making fun of them in this moment. And this brings us down to verse 19 where we're going to pick up. It says, now therefore, let the Lord, my king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day that I should not have a share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go, serve other gods. Now, we'll come back to verse 20 in just a moment. But when David says that, that they have driven me out saying, go serve other gods, he's not saying that he has stopped believing in the Lord. But you have to realize where he's living at in uh, Judah, all of the surrounding villages or kingdoms or territories, whatever you want to call them, they're not believers. They're not trusting in the true king of kings. So anywhere that David would flee to, he's going to be an outcast. He's going to be an outsider, and he feels like he's being pushed by his problems farther and farther away from the presence of the Lord. Hello, anybody ever been there? God, I'm trying to pursue you. I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to be a good believer. I'm going to church. I'm doing my Bible studies, but my world is still falling apart. It's crumbling. I feel like every step that I take, it's just another problem and another problem and God, I'm just getting pushed farther and farther from you. 
That's where David's at right now. That's what he says in uh, verse 19. Look back here at verse 18. When he said, why does, uh, excuse me, let me find my spot here. Go back to 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let the Lord, the king, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of my Lord, saying, go serve other gods. David feels as though he's being pushed farther and farther from the presence of the Lord. And that's a scary place to be. It's hard when you say, God, I want to pursue you. I want to trust in you. But around every corner, I'm fighting a different battle every time. Believer, let me encourage you this morning. Be patient in the Lord's timing. Because he's doing something inside of you. Can you imagine the strength that David has built up during this time of running? the leadership skills that he has grown and he has developed while leading these 600 men and learning how to evade Saul and learning what the areas look like around his homeland. God is using this time for him. Look at verse 20. It says, Now therefore, let not my blood fall on the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Anybody ever hunted partridge in the mountains? Me neither. So I had to look it up on why that was even in there. I mean, you go from talking about I'm being pushed away from the presence of the Lord to talking about fleas and birds. Where are you going? So here's the interesting thing. In the old days when they would hunt partridge, the partridge would be at the bottom of the mountain. And these men who were hunting would chase these birds, but partridge don't fly very far. They just fly a little ways and they land in a tree. So then they'd go to that tree and they'd spook them out again. And this bird would fly a little ways and land in another tree. And they'd do this over and over and over. And eventually the bird would be so exhausted and so tired that he'd lose his will for life. And he would just give up. And then the hunters could move in and very easily take their prey. That's where David is at. He's at the the point of depravity that he feels that he is being hunted to the death without relent, which he is, but he's now realized that there's not much hope. This is an endless game. If I keep doing the same thing that I've been doing over and over and over, church, let me tell you this morning, sometimes you have to change your game plan. Sometimes you can't fight the same battles the same way every time. Sometimes you got to say, God, I'm done you got to take control. Sometimes you just have to allow him to do what only he can do. So David is speaking to Saul during this time. Look at verse 21. This is what Saul says. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. 
For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I will not put out my hand. Uh, excuse me. Back to verse 24. Behold, uh, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. This is going to bring us to our second point this morning, our second life lesson. First, we have wait for the Lord's timing, be patient. Second, we have trust in the Lord's plan and preparation. Be patient and keep trusting. It's hard to lose trust when you're being patient. You ever had to wait for a long time for something? You feel like you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and it's just never going to happen. Keep on trusting in the Lord. We know that from a young age, David was made aware that he was chosen and set apart by the Lord to be the king. David has seen marvelous wonders done by the Lord throughout his lifetime. And this has resulted in a deep trust, allowing David to boldly follow God's call, trusting that the Lord's plan for him to be king would come to pass. As you're thinking through this week, as you go and you read through these two chapters and you're thinking, are the decisions that I'm being consumed with in my life eternal decisions or are these momentary decisions? I hope that you can reflect and look back on your life and say, I remember that day I was patient and the Lord came through with what he promised. I remember that day I was trusting. I thought that nothing was going to happen. I was at wit's end and yet the Lord still pulled through and he was faithful in his promise. And in light of that perspective, it is much easier to focus on the things in our life that have eternal ramifications. We see in verse 23 that David calls out to Saul. He says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. Reminding Saul that his life could have been taken with ease. However, David chose to leave it to the Lord to take the proper time for his own hands Uh, and for his own hands to stay clean. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, uh, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name. Look, church, if you're faithful to the Lord and you make the decision to pursue him and you allow the scriptures to be the filter that all of your choices come through, the Lord is not unjust to forget those things. When we are patient and waiting on him, when we are trusting and we believe that no matter the circumstances, he is going to pull through, he's not going to forget those times. We're told that no one in the army of 3,000 men, including the commander who was asleep next to Saul, woke up when David and Abishai walked uh, through what appeared to be a gauntlet. They walked all the way in, found Saul, had a discussion of what to do, picked up the spear, picked up the water jug, and walked all the way back out, and yet not a single person awoke. How does that even happen? That happens because of the faithfulness of the Lord keeping his promise to David to allow him to become king because David was faithful to what the Lord had asked him to do. David knew that Saul had been placed in that position of authority by God himself. He knew that he could trust in the plan and the preparation 
by the Father. David could have taken this as a sign that Saul had been given into his hands and that it was time for Saul to die, but instead he used this to show mercy and trust in the plan and the preparation of the Lord. This brings us to chapter 27. Let's look at chapter 27, verse 1. It says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape from the land uh, to the land of the Philistines. Now hold on just a minute. We're talking about David. Do you remember David? Do you remember the specific story about David and the Philistines? You got little David. You got a really big Philistine. Goliath, remember that? So at one point in time, the Philistines were David's enemy number one. He couldn't stand them because they were the ones that were mocking his own God. And yet now, he's moving in with them. Look at this. Then David said in his heart, Now I should perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. You see, when life decided that it was going to get a little too much, and David decided, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore, I can't keep running. I've got to find something different. Instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to the one thing that he knew he shouldn't go to. He literally, at this exact moment, will see something different in just a moment. But at this time, turns his back on the land that he was promised to be king of. And he's going to leave. How many times in our life, when we feel like that partridge, where we've just been beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten with problem after problem, we finally throw up our hands and say, you know what, God, I'm tired of trusting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to go back to the things that I'm comfortable with. If you're not going to pull through for me right now, then I'm going to at least be comfortable while I'm waiting. And we turn to things that are not of his kingdom. And we forget about his goodness. And we forget about his strength and his might and his mercy. David just walked through 3,000 chosen men and was never touched. But yet now he still feels as though he has to flee because he can't trust God. Ooh, people, that's me. God can do the most incredible thing in my life. And then I turn around and it's like it never happened. You ever been there or is that that just me? That's where David's at. But look what happens here. Verse two. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of uh, Moak, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, yep, that lady, and Abigail of Carmel. Hey, don't laugh at me. You know you've done the same thing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So David arose and went over with the 600 men. Now I lost my place. Verse 3, here we go. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, David with his two wives, that lady, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Did David get what he wanted? Yeah, he did. Saul backed off. David had every opportunity at this moment 
to just ride the gravy train out. Say, I'm comfortable. The Philistines are fine with me. Saul has left me alone. I've got 600 men with me. Everything's good. Let's see what actually happens. Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the numbers of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Verse 8. And this is going to bring us to our last point this morning. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites of that place and the Amalekites. These were the inhabitants of the land of old, as excuse me, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man or woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, and the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made raids today? David would say, against the Neg of Ju- uh, Negab of Judah, or against the Negab of the Jehamilites, or against the Negab of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Now, if you're like me, you read all those names and you say, okay, that's great. David went to the Philistines. He was given this place for them to live as their own. And then he went and plundered a bunch of little towns. That's wonderful. Did you know that all those little places that he would go into and have raids against were the bordering enemies of Judah, his future kingdom? You see, our third life lesson that we can read from David this morning is that even in our discomfort, the Lord is still providing for our future. Even though David has been cast out of the land that he was called to be king, he's still able to provide for the land that he was called to be king. He's able to hold raids against them and not just put a dent in them, he wipes them completely out, enriching his own men and their families, but also taking care of his home country because David never forgot where he came from. Let me tell you, church, sometimes we feel like we're in a desolate place and we're in a desert and the Lord has forgotten about us. Sometimes we're there because of our own decisions and our own choices, and we're suffering the consequences of what we've chosen to do. But did you know that even in our consequences, the Lord can work for your future? And not just your future, but the future of your children and your children's children, Why? Because that's the God that we serve. That's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. You see, David fled to the Philistines, and because he did that, he was inheriting a new piece of land that was still under them to this day, according to Scripture. Church, you need to remember that even in discomfort, the Lord is providing for your future. David finally reached a point that he understood in order for Saul to stop pursuing him and pursuing his life, he must flee out of the country that he so dearly loved. Often we get into this mindset that if the Lord loves me or he wants the best for me, then surely he would never place me in hardship or remove me from where my heart truly longs to be. 
Folks, that's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Because the Lord loves you, he allows you to go through things that are gonna draw you closer to him. Because of the Lord's mercy and his grace, he allows you to be stretched and pulled. He allows you to grow. That is the God that we serve. As we begin to wrap up this morning, I'm going to ask if the band would come back up. First, we looked at the fact that David was patient. David waited on the Lord's perfect timing. Let me ask you, church, this morning, are you being patient? Or are you like me a lot of times where you say, God, I, I know you have something for me. What is it? What is it, God? I know you have something for me. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do something. And it feels like nothing's happening. So we decide, you know what? I'm going to make something happen. I know what I want. I know what I'm longing for. I'm just going to go get after it, and I'm going to make it happen. And before we know it, we're wrapped up in this situation just like Saul, where we can't see past right here, right now. We forget about the eternal decisions. So this morning, I want to remind you, church, to be patient. Wait for the Lord's perfect timing. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. But I promise you, it's going to be so worth it. You can trust in him. You can keep trusting in him. Trust that the Lord's plan and preparation for your life are for your good and for his glory. I promise you that the Lord is not going to allow something to happen in your life that he can't flip a switch and make your attention turn straight to him. Now, I'm not going to tell you that he's going to allow things to happen in your life when he flips the switch and takes the pain away or takes the sorrow away or the heartache or the loneliness, but that's not how it works. But in the pain and the heartache and the loneliness, he can draw your attention directly to him. So church, keep trusting. On the good days, on the hard days, the fun days and the bad days, keep trusting. I don't know why, but probably someone in here this morning, I... It's stuck in my head of keep trusting. There's somebody in here that's, they're like David. And it might just be me. I don't know, because I'll tell you, I'm at that point today. I'm saying, God, I'm at wit's end. I feel like this bird has just been chased and chased and chased, and I'm losing hope here. God, what are you doing? Be patient on the Lord's timing. Keep trusting. He's working for your good. He's working for his glory. You know what happens to David? I'm going to jump ahead in the story. He becomes king. The Lord keeps his promise. Why? Because he is faithful. I want to encourage you to stay content. Now, hear me out on this. When I say stay content, I don't mean be passive. I don't mean let life pass you by and say, oh, well, I'm just riding the river of the Lord. Whatever he wills is going to happen. That's not how it works. And you know it. But I am saying be content in where the Lord has placed you. When he calls you to move, move. When he calls you to stand up and fight, stand up and fight. David didn't have 600 men with him for no reason. He knew there was going to come a day that he was going to have to get up and fight. So you be ready to fight for your family. Be ready to fight for your home. Be ready to fight for your happiness, for your joy. 
But in those moments, be content with where the Lord has placed you. Don't become bitter Christians. I tell you, one of the worst things that you could ever be is a bitter Christian because you're gonna harm the kingdom more than help it. Be patient, keep trusting, and stay content because even in seasons of discomfort, remember that the Lord is providing for your future. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.